Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Are you in recovery and chose to tune in for some inspiration? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you are here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of this podcast. I spent most of my life drinking, and eventually I realized how alcohol was negatively impacting my life in many ways. One day at the age of 39, I decided I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, and I reached out for help. I have been sober since 2012, and it has changed my life in ways I never imagined. I am so happy that I got the chance to live a more comfortable life, free of the chains of addiction. Today, my life just keeps getting better. Sober Gratitudes was born out of the desire to recover out loud so that others could see the hope in sobriety. In each episode, I speak with a recovered alcoholic or addict who shares how their life changed for the better after they got sober. I welcome you to subscribe to my podcast to hear these amazing stories of people from all walks of life. They too want to share in this mission to help others and to end stigmas of addiction. I promise you, you will be inspired. Whether you have been here before or you were a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a minute to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for dropping in today and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah, and I am so grateful that you're here today for an episode that is going to be really awesome. It's totally impromptu because this friend of mine is just amazing. He's a friend I met over Instagram. Was it Instagram, Chris? Okay. Yep. And he is from South Africa. And he, I actually, <laughs> he's from a raise in the roof. Um, his name is Chris Nell, and he has a podcast called Having a Cuppa. He's had some very well-known Instagram influencers in sobriety on his podcast. He is hilarious. I laugh all the time. I, I laugh actually more at his laugh sometimes than... The <laughs> That's how we're debuting Chris with his laugh. Um, <laughs> and I just, I, you know how there's some people who just have the greatest laugh and you just can't stop laughing at their laugh. Anyway, Chris is one of those guys and he's my adopted little brother. I'm seriously old enough to be his grandmother, but mm -hmm. I'm just going to say mother. Is that acceptable? No, sister's good. Sister's good. <laughs> anyway, so Chris agreed to me on the very last moment, literally just like five minutes ago. I'm like, will you do a podcast with me? And he said, absolutely. Let me get all my stuff together. And here we are discussing early sobriety and the holidays. My series right now, from now until, I don't know, January 1st, perhaps. Make it January 31st. Oh, you think 31st? Okay. Yeah. Everyone's right. in the vacation mood still <laughs> by the 31st of January. Okay. All right. That's what it will be. That's, it's, that's decided. It's decided. So Chris, thank you so much for being on my podcast at this, in the totally last minute. I'm going to give you the floor because I want my audience to hear a little bit more about you and you know, just your, your stats, like your qualifications and then how, like what, what worked for you in early sobriety, what was helpful, what wasn't helpful, maybe some experiences that you had that you learned from, et cetera, et cetera. I know you have so much that you can say, so hit it. Well, first of all, uh, Sarah, thank you for the opportunity. Um, it's a great privilege. You know, I'm the one that always does interviews for a career. But being interviewed, wow, what a challenge and what an opportunity. My story, first of all, is not as dissimilar as what yours has been. Uh, 
I was an alcoholic in my mid to pre, uh, pre to mid adolescence, had my first sip at the age of 14 because of the fact that I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And at the age of 16, I just, at the time, the way my mind was wired, began drinking because I thought it was fun. I thought that the euphoria was the greatest high that one can think of. That's just the summary. But the background to it was because of the fact that I don't, I didn't know what love was. I'm an only child, with the exception of my surrogate sister today. And um, my father also was a heavy drinker. So it was a hereditary disease that went down from my paternal side of the family. Uh, interestingly enough, I just want to pivot for a second. I had John Winslow on my podcast who highlighted this. The, this kind of disease in your <clears throat> family bloodline can affect the one generation, skip the next, and then affect the other one. And I want you to remember that in the back of your mind, because this also involves in part two of my uh, sobriety. So I can't remember one happy moment in my life where my dad was concerned. I can't remember that my dad wanted to play ball with me. I don't remember him saying that he was proud of me, not knowing, never knowing if he said he loved me. And uh, around about 16, I was continually drinking every weekend that I, I was working a part-time job for extra pocket money, because as you know, you only get pocket money up until a certain point in age, and then your parents say, well, time to start getting a little responsibility. And all the pocket money that I had, whenever there would be a fight that would be uh, verbally violent, I would sneak out of the house, and uh, the audience obviously can't see me, but because I'm of towering height, I could easily sneak into bars and clubs and partake and I would partake and partake and partake until I was literally drunk off my, off my face. And <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, I was what was called a functioning alcoholic. Whenever I was at work, whenever I was at school, I didn't drink one solid drop. At home, whenever my parents were not at home, I would sneak into the liquor cabinet and partake in a bit of Kahlua here, some sweet red wine there, uh, some brandy here, and it only began to accumulate. My first bender, I remember, is the day that I finished high school. I just heard the words, you've got varsity exemption, and my boss at the time just took me to a night on the town and got belligerent, absolutely belligerent. And this is absolutely so fun, right? And... Um, this would transpire all throughout my college years, how I never flunked a subject, how I never failed a course is only the, to the knowledge of, of the Lord on high. But it began to um, really reach a, a tipping point when in 2015, my dad left my mother. I was holding a, a part-time job at the time while I was trying to obtain my diploma after I finished my studies, there was still a six month period until graduation. So in that time period, I still had a part-time job. Um, straight into New Year's, I pull my car into the drive and I noticed that my car's, uh, my dad's car's in the, in the parking. And I thought that this is a weird phenomenon because he never got home before eight in the evening and always with alcohol in his breath. Next moment, I walk inside with my mother, the entire house is ransacked. We just have the bare essentials. And that conflict, that happening, just took a very bad toll on me. I couldn't find a job. Uh, any jobs that I could get went to helping my mother keep food on the table. Um, when I got my diploma, I began shopping myself around and I couldn't get a job. So all of this pressure and all of this heartache and all of this verbal abuse that my dad was dishing out on me and my mom was aiding my addiction. And I'd like to fast forward the tale to when I actually started my career, round about at, today is the four year anniversary when I had begun in radio, as a matter of fact. Oh, happy anniversary to Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> and um, 
By then I'd begun living by myself and earning my own coin and I was doing relatively well. But there was this void that just, this pain that I just couldn't erase. And um, it cost me my sleep. I couldn't get a decent night's shut eye. I was suffering devastating insomnia. And what was originally alcoholism began to transpire in full on opioid use. Uh, you and I spoke about this before. I began to abuse a over-the-counter tranquilizer that is called Somnil, spelled S-O-M-N-I-L. Um, quite euphemistically, it's got a picture of a sheep as the logo, like when you count sheep to sleep to go to sleep. So um, I was originally down to two Somnils to more than six Somnils an evening, and I would wake up literally so loopy, I couldn't find my way to the bathroom without bumping into every ornament in the house. And to tell you the truth, at that time, I couldn't give a rats. Um, it transpired until such a point where I got so physically ill that I lost the hearing in my left ear. And when I went to go and have a diagnosis done, it turned out I had what was called drug-induced bronchial pneumonia. Because of excess medicinals, it affected my sinus passages, like with cocaine addicts who snort a little bit too much that it burns a additional passage or additional hole in the sinus passage. Uh, this one literally affected my ear canal because just for FYI, your ears, your nasal cavity and your throat runs like the letter Y. So it's all interconnected. Um, and that was the first indicator that I should get sober, but becoming sober just didn't seem palatable to me because then the fear be had begun to accumulate. I have to throw this in for good measure. I wasn't having a good time at work as well. Uh, jealousy, narcissism, call it what you will. That all was busy affecting my thinking at well, as well. That was extremely fragile. And I'd been threatened recently with court uh, 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 press action by a former landlord who was trying to milk me for more money. And when I had said, I'm not going to pay you more money, well, I'm going to take you to the local community newspaper. Needless to say, without any sufficient evidence, it fell flat in its face. And I was accused for sexual harassment at work, which was a complete uh, fallacy. I don't disrespect women and I don't seduce women. It's not in me unless it is the woman that I am chosen to betrothed. I'm not that kind of person at all. Um, you and I have been friends now for the better part of six months and I've never given you any sort of hint, but that's besides the point. So all of this was happening more or less at the same time while I was still abusing opioids and still drinking rather heavily. I would go through more than two sixes a night if you can understand the terminology, two six packs of beer. Um, and then ultimately the day came where my bosses cut my salary at the radio station I was working at and I lost my apartment. I moved back into the house and I thought that things were going to get better, but ultimately it would only get a little worse. I say a little because I was still drinking. It came to the point where I would get off shift and the first thing without batting an eyelid, I would say to my mother, can I please have a glass of wine? Or I would just say, where's the wine? And then I would go and guzzle. And it reached a turning point round about October 25th, 2018. I was still on the road traveling for, for business. And my mother was with me and I just got this convincing feeling to ultimately say what was on my heart. I couldn't hide the scars anymore. I was going out of my mind because of financial worries and how people perceived me. I was worried that my drinking was going to come to the fray and I was going to lose my job and it would become this big public disgrace. And I came up with the whole sack of potatoes and I said, mom, I'm an alcoholic. And I've said this before to, to friends of ours. When you say something like that, you're always frightened because you don't know how you are going to be perceived. 
And light at the end of the tunnel, my mother gave me this smile from ear to ear and said, you don't know how long it's been that I've been waiting for you to tell me that. And there I said to myself, I'm going to get sober. But bear in mind, I didn't go to rehab. I wanted to, but because of the fact that I'm a quote unquote public personality in my native country, doing something like that might get you on the front page of the gossip tabloid. And I didn't want that, but that was my thinking. I should tell you as well. So five months goes by, I get rid of all the booze that was in the house and um, I was self-educating on the matter of sobriety, how it is a disease and not just a term to tell you the God's honest truth. And it is a disease because it's a mental health problem that reaches down all the way to your soul and to the very corridors of your heart. Now, where I didn't have to go to rehab to get sober, I got a completely different sort of motivation. I was in the shower five months later and I got a profusive nosebleed. I had a little bump on my nose, the size of a shirt button. And when I walked out, I noticed that the bleeding was from the top of my nose. I thought I'd caught myself shaving, but it was from this bump. Uh, to savor you all the details, I went to go and have it checked out, went for a biopsy, and it turned out to be stage three basal cell sarcosinoma, which was skin cancer, protrusive skin cancer. Now, to just give a little bit of backstory there, you get two types of skin cancers. You get the one that I had, which was the sarcosinoma, which is not, which isn't as threatening as what melanoma is, because the cancer sits beneath the layer of skin. Melanoma is deep down into the nerve system, and it has a higher percentage of going to more uh, pivotal areas of the body and can also protrude the organs. We sadly lost uh, James Reborn because of that, died in 2014, active from Homeland to melanoma. And um, when I got the news that it was, was skin cancer, here I am five months sober and I literally thought I was going to die. Uh, but you try and fight that that thinking, that negative thinking. I tried to commit suicide twice before that because of abuse that my father dished out to me. He strangled me on more times than what I can think of. He gave me more than my fair share of, of bruises. I would go to school with my uniform and I would uh, wear a, a raincoat over it on a seething hot summer day to try and hide the marks. But, when, but this that I had, this disease, beat all of that in my mind. And um, thank God, I went for alternative treatment. I didn't go for chemo and I didn't go for, for uh, radiation. Uh, I met a doctor who specialized in pharmacology and he eventually overturned his previous profession to go to more natural treatments using uh, 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 antibiotics that were made from plant sources and whatnot. And I took this treatment and I had this bump treated for it but what ultimately it had done to give you the long story short it it's like a an adhesive like glue that you place onto the affected area and then as it hardens like uh, like putty that used to to seal off a window it hardens like putty but it burns like you won't believe and uh, it scarred my face i couldn't sit out of the house uh, for the better part of that year. That was in February and in March I got the full uh, prognosis that I was in uh, remission at the time. I've, I'm now in complete remission after one year. But to reiterate what I said, that really put everything in clear perspective for me that uh, I was here, I'm here for a reason. Having survived fully fledged alcoholism and opioid abuse and then a life-threatening disease i knew that in some way i had to give back and that's what i've been putting my mind to ever since 2020 got started so your anniversary is coming up it's, it's already it's already been it's already been october 25th oh that's right yeah and that's one year one year or two two years two years that's right wow and you survived two suicide attempts. I did, yes. One was when I was 17. Um, that part of my memory is still foggy, but what had happened was is um, 
whenever my father was drunk, he would seek any form or function to want to pick a fight. And we had gotten into a tussle over something. I can't for the life of me tell you what it was, but it got really, really nasty. All I remember is I couldn't see, I went completely, you know, everything was a flash forward and the next moment, I've got this hand to my throat. My larynx is, feels like it's narrowing and narrowing as I can't breathe. And this stuck by me. And I went to school that morning. I was supposed to act like nothing happened. And I couldn't concentrate. But somehow I soldiered through and I came home. So bitter, so angry, so full of self-loathing. And um, walked into my bedroom. Um, my late grandfather, he was still alive at the time, but he gave me his collection of, of uh, pen knives. And I saw the pen knife resting in a shoebox right next to my cupboard and I took it into my hand and I looked at my wrist and the events of that morning was running through my mind and I was asking myself the question, what is life worth? Really? And uh, I opened up the pen knife and I began to press it to my wrist. Oh. I just couldn't do it. And I just <coughs> threw the pen knife aside and uh, never thought about it again. That was when I was 17. And then when I was 20, Two going on 23, graduation year 2015, I tried again. Similar premise. Um, my mother had tried before the divorce to reconcile with my dad. That's before we both became educated on the concept of narcissism. And um, he came over to dinner one evening, also belligerent, and began spewing the most foulest accusations that was ever known to man. And I took him on about it. And he said words like, I had just gotten my driver's license that, that time. And uh, said to me, you bought your driver's license. You can't drive for shit. Um, you can't get a job. You're a failure as a person. I write you off. You're not my son. And uh, also, I couldn't, also the, the, while this was happening, forgive me if I, if I veer off topic, all of, a lot of events were happening at the same time. I had a romantic relationship that also went belly up at the same time. And uh, on the day that I got dumped, like, give me a nice American, Americanism, you got dumped like a, like a bag of potatoes. Okay. Uh, I got dumped like a bag of potatoes. And uh, with this, that my father was verbally abusing me, I went into the drink, to the drink uh, uh, alcohol cabinet and poured the stiff one upon the other, sat outside, smoked one cigarette upon the other. And I began drinking and crying and saying, Lord, how can you let this happen? How can you subject me to this kind of, of pain and, 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 and suffering. And I got home from work the very next day. I didn't sleep. I closed my door and again, the same premise, saw the pen knife and I tried again. And still I couldn't do it. And that was my two suicide attempts. Wow, well, thank you. I know that was so hard and I'm so sorry that you have had such an awful experience with your father that it got to a place of 
wanting to end your own life, but you're here mm. today and you're such I'm grateful a, for it. Yeah. Well, and that's what I see. That's what I experience with you most of the time. And I'm really touched. And so I, I feel like that sharing what you shared is information that's ultimately going to save other people's lives who are listening. That's the hook. And I, because I I see you now as somebody who's vibrant, who's enthusiastic, who is a warrior, who has such enthusiasm for life and for people. And you're just so kind and friendly and, and thoughtful and giving. And, and, you know, I call that, you know, for me, I call that God wants, God wants you here. Like God does not want you just yet absolutely and and so thank you thank you for being so transparent i know that was hard but it was time to share it and you know what if there's anyone out there in the same position as what i am i'm a four-year radio broadcast veteran i've done films i've done tv in my in my native south africa i've rubbed shoulders with good names some have become good friends some better acquaintances, to tell you the God's honest truth. Let me, in your, let me let you in on a little secret. There's nothing, nothing worth more than your own sobriety. Mm-hmm. Sobriety comes first. And that's part and parcel of the reason you and I were talking off air. Um, I used to be a morning show host for a full year. I did nighttime drive before I went over to, to mornings. Um, if there's anything that is temptation, and I only learned this myself quite recently because after I'd, I went into full remission, um, I'd met my friend Leanne Wilson, who's become my sponsor, and she took me to NA, and I've been attending NA now for the better part of seven months. And it was at an NA meeting that I told of an episode that I went to go and get coffee. It's surprising how if you give up alcohol, coffee becomes your best friend for some reason. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and... Um, Sometimes I can't go to bed. I'm sorry. I have to say really quick interject. I can't. Sometimes I'm like tired. Like I'm getting really tired at the end of the day. And I'm like, I can't wait to go to bed so I can wake up and have my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly the way that I feel. And it's not just coffee. Whenever you're in the supermarket and you go down the aisle and you look to your left and you see, okay, there's coffee. Ooh, there's latte. There's cappuccino. There's espresso. Babe, can we get them all? And then you just load your trolley with all the coffee areas. <laughs> your house actually smells reeks of coffee beans. All of a sudden, you become a barista. <laughs> I'm sorry to interject that, but yes, go on with what yeah, you Gladly, gladly. Um, it was while I was good, well, I had to go on air uh, uh, that morning. And it was about an hour to a half an hour early. And where my studio was, it was situated within a gaming complex of a very popular hotel resort and casino. And the local coffee bar was just about seven paces uh, from the office. And we didn't have coffee in, in the office. And I thought, oh dear, what do I do now? So off I went to the coffee bar and I ordered myself a, a coffee. But right behind the barista was a flash flood of stocked alcohol in the fridges. Just to give you context, mm-hmm. when we were in lockdown here in South Africa, um, alcohol was, the sale of alcohol was prohibited completely. And yeah, alcohol was a complete taboo. Okay. Uh, bars, bars were closed, taverns were closed, nightclubs were closed, uh, liquor stores were closed, the whole raw bob fish paste. I can imagine a lot of people died from like, Oh, okay. Let me just pivot because that's how you and I are. Um, I told this to Jessica Landon, who you know as well through the Sober Mom Squad, um, Mm -hmm. because she was also quite perplexed when I told her this story. Mm -hmm. When everything closed down, I wish I had met you that time that it happened because you and I met when lockdown was just about at level one. Mm -hmm. Um, On the eve that uh, 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 lockdown was about to begin, Fucking hell. There was queues as far as the post office as people were standing by to purchase alcohol before they close. Wow. And uh, 
I don't know if you had the same thing here, but if it sounds like a completely Greek concept to you, um, I'll gladly explain it. People were making what was known as pineapple beer, like with moonshine. They were making their own brand of moonshine, but it's pineapple beer. And as the title entails, it's pineapple diced and cubed with cordial sugar and water. And it's cooked with gas to help it ferment. And then you have Le Petit de Alcohol. What? I promise you it is alcohol. People would drink gas. Alcoholic pineapple. But they he added heated, gas to it. No, 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 no. Heated over a gas oven. Oh. <laughs> like with a like with a moonshine still. Oh. That okay. works on gas. Okay. This is where I needed the subtitles. Not a That's problem. Your wonderful accent that I. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry. I sound like a combination of James Bond and an Irish leprechaun. No, it's lovely. I just have a problem with understanding dialects. No, really, it's a joke with my husband and I. We, we, we watch Lord of Rings and have to have the subtitles on. That's not British. That's New Zealand. Well, whatever it is, it's a different... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking the mickey out of you. I'm just taking the mickey out of you. No, um, it's... Like with, like with moonshine, pineapple beer is um, boiled on a gas still, but consists of pineapple bits and pieces with fruit cordial, sugar, and water. And alcohol in raw form is sugar, fermented sugar. And that's what people were doing in the midst of the lockdown, making pineapple beer. Why did I bring this up? Oh, let's do a disclaimer. Please, we don't endorse making this beer. No, no. Because it please. is very bad for not you. At all. Any not alcoholics at all. listening, do not do this. We do not. I actually lampooned the recipe on radio where I took a whole bunch of sound bits and pretended to make pineapple beer on the, on the radio. <laughs> and it culminated with a big explosion. So, and then it ended off with, you know, that uh, WWE bumper? Please don't try this at home. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I did a whole sketch on to lampoon that, trying to... It's crazy. I'm thinking of Breaking Bad, making crystal meth. Yeah, it's um, exactly the very same thing. That's craziness. And But you know what? It, we're kind of digressing, which I knew we would, and that's okay. Sure. But the, the, the sugar, I, I cannot eat sugar anymore because I seriously wake up the next morning and I feel hungover. The older I get, and I will be 48 in the a week or so and ladies and gentlemen she doesn't look at she's talking nonsense <laughs> i have those nice filters on though the zoom <laughs> anyway but the the, the sugar I, as i've gotten older you know i've had i had this eight and a half years no alcohol well mm -hmm. two slips in the beginning but the consecutive days in the eight years and i think like yes my alcoholism has progressed but i think my body has progressed in a way where it cannot handle like certain, yes. And that's the reason why we brought it up. I was buying coffee. So in that meanwhile, no one was purchasing alcohol whatsoever. And uh, when the hard lockdown finished that we could go back to the office, alcohol didn't come back in yet. So the fridges would be empty. And on this appointed morning that I went to go buy coffee, just to refresh the memory, I just see this flash flood of packed beer and liquors in the fridges behind me. And the strangest thing happened. My, my stomach went like this. Excuse me. Uh, my stomach went like this. It was turning knots and I'm sweating like you would not believe. And uh, the barista who served me my order could see that I was not in a healthy state of mind. Mm -hmm. I was tapping like this on the table as if to tell him, please just hurry up. Yeah. And literally the moment that he put my order down i paid him his dues to caesar grabbed my beverage and i am bolting to the office and uh, the moment that i went inside i vomited in the office bin by just so looking just by looking i Could promise you i promise you i promise you just from looking at that i got so sick wow. i called 
I called Ian, my sponsor, I said, literally, the, these were my words, and forgive me if I'm, if, if I'm cussing too much. I said, what the fuck is happening now? I need to be on the air in 20 minutes. What has happened? Am I busy relapsing? And she calmed me down. She said, listen, and listen well. What has happened is, because you are so far along in your sobriety, it was only a year and a half at the time, your brain is saying no, but the body still needs to follow suit. So it provides a conflict and that's what causes a physical reaction. As a result, I don't want alcohol near me. Don't present it to me. I will, I will throw it in your face to tell you the God's honest truth. That's how extreme I am about my sobriety. Mm -hmm. And because of the horrors that I had as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a result as well, having abused opioids, I tiptoe in the pharmacy if I need something. I avoid the headache pills and I avoid the, what I didn't say as well is in conjunction with drinking so much, um, I got, apart from the drug-induced bronchial pneumonia, I also got early stage gout in my wrist. Wow, and wait a minute, you were what, 23? Uh, yeah, 23 at the time, 23 at the time. Gout only happens to like <laughs> middle-aged, People, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 70 year olds get gout. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but crazy. I should have seen the warning signs a little earlier, but you've been down the same we path can. as I we have. Can. Yeah, we can as of now. My late boss, when I was still working in warehousing part time, said to me, uh, Why are you, why is your wrist bandaged? I said, I've got immense pain in my wrist. He says to me, uh, you've got gout. Have you been drinking? No. <laughs> How do you answer that? But uh, yeah, I got gout in my wrist from that. And um, I would abuse painkillers to, to numb the pain as well. So because of the, the sleeping pills and the painkillers, I tiptoe in a pharmacy. That's how extreme I am about yeah. my sobriety on a physical level. On a mental level, my sobriety extends itself where I really don't care about stress. I try and avoid it as best as I can by accumulating my mind with positivity. Um, Look, I'm still learning as I go with regards to sobriety. And I believe that's why the famous quote rings, recovery is not a goal, it's a lifelong process. Because I'm continually discovering things that I didn't know before, which is why the reason not to to relentlessly self-promote, but why I started the podcast, my, my pod. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could learn about uh, uh, sobriety on an international level. <clears throat> because if there's one thing that I can say faithfully, the US and, the, and North America, where a lot of our mutual friends reside, mm-hmm. they are a whole lot more vocal about sobriety culture and the do's and the don'ts and what happens when you relapse and it shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't crucify yourself if you slip up. I did slip up, but it was by accident, really. I'll just finish off with this story. I bought my mother a box of chocolates. It was a piece of cheap box of chocolates because it was the only one on the shelf, but it was Belgian chocolates and I didn't know that the chocolates had liquor. And I took a sample in other words, that was just me fancy, very fancy saying I took a bite and I accidentally read on the label that it had uh, liqueur in and I went into Deborah mode and I, well, if that counts as a relapse, then by all means I did relapse. Uh, but personally, I don't see it as because it never enticed me to continue eating that box of chocolates. You get what I'm saying? Right. Didn't kick off the allergy and the obsession. Correct with regards to liquid alcohol in in, in physical format. So long story short, that's how um, on a physical level with regards to staying away to avoid temptation. And uh, when I mentioned this story of what happened in the casino to my uh, drug counselor, he said to me, listen, you can consider yourself very fortunate that something like that happened because that the fact that you immediately reacted when you started getting physically physically sick, that only happens according to him. Don't quote me, quote him. It only happens like a good while into your sobriety that uh, 
you know, physical reaction of that sort that feels like a lot like a withdrawal yeah. begins to happen. And um, so on a physical level, it's made me a lot more aware, but I'm not paranoid about it. If there are people who want to drink, they're more than welcome to. My mother and I, who share a house, she still consumes alcohol, but she's really a timid, timid drinker. Mm-hmm. And she respects my sobriety in the sense that she won't drink in front of me. And she doesn't, uh, if we ever have guests over, she doesn't um, uh, even mention it mm-hmm. uh, in front of my company. Would you like a drink or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, so she's very respectful in that regard. Look, when I told my father that I was an alcoholic and that he scoffed at it and God bless him for thinking so, because, right. you know, if they don't want to admit the truth, you can only be helped if you want to be helped, if you admit it. And that is what I admitted. I know that I have a mental health problem because I was suffering from depression during this tumultuous time. It happens to a lot of us whilst we are uh, in active addiction. Um, it's now completely went off kilter now. Um, well, we were talking about like how we were getting, I mean, gosh, your story is amazing. And I've heard drips and drabs of it as we've gotten to know each other, but to mm, know it mm. in long format, um, I feel so honored and um, so glad you're on my pod. And just ta- the, the d- discussion we were having about or what you were sharing about in regards to vomiting by just the sight of alcohol. I mm. mean, that, that's a blessing to me. Like very much like that. I, my, my husband doesn't really drink anymore, but sometimes he'll have a bottle of beer, but it will be, it really, it's only when somebody's like here, it's what it's a, a special occasion. Do you want a beer? And he's like, okay. And he like kind of, if he's out, and he comes home having had one beer five hours ago, I can still smell it on his breath. And I am like, get the hell away from me. Like I exactly the same with me. It's like, I feel this kind of like in my, like I'm going to, it's like a, it's just an awful, awful. And I'm so grateful that I have that reaction to it because I don't ever want to go back. I want to ask if you don't feel physically nauseous, do you also get, irate perhaps from the smell uh yeah i get well i get more ir- irritable okay it's like i and i guess irritation irate, like it can be irate, yeah, irritable same, like, same translation <laughs> yeah like i'm not like like kicking him out of the house and divorcing him but i'm yeah. like i'm saying to, i'm like basically just like crabby like just mm. oh gosh the smell Snippy. is just like it goes right to my gut and it really, mm. um, and, and, you know, that's a, just like, just like the drunk dreams that people have that they wake up and they're like, thank God, thank God. It's not true. Like those are gifts, right? Those are gifts when you're in sobriety. Well, if you want my, my five cents on that quickly, sure. look, it's, de- it's devastating when you experience it. And for some people it can happen concurrently. Some Jessica Landon made me attend on this. Um, physical reactions and fever dreams can happen concurrently, mm-hmm. depending on it, it. It shifts from person to person. Again, mentioning the uh, uh, generation disease, it skips one generation and then affects another. Mm-hmm. So it affects everyone on different levels. Or it can happen once in a blue moon. But when it happens, the effect is still the same. You are debilitated. You feel frightened. But if you comfort yourself knowing that it's not the truth and you're actively involved in your 12 steps and you actively participate in what you're doing. And let me just say this as well, because I don't want to create a false impression that's not there because that would be gaslighting. Everyone's form of recovery is also very varied. I will be the last person to say that if you don't go to rehab, it's not necessary. If it is absolutely imperative for you, by all means, go do it. With me, I quit very much cold turkey and began attending Narcotics Anonymous a year and a half into my sobriety. Mm -hmm. 
and that's what works for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I began a podcast speaking to you and speaking to a lot of our mutual friends. That aids me in my sobriety. Mm -hmm. For other people, they can take yoga and they can read books, they can read articles, they can uh, uh, be prescribed medication like antibuse to, uh, to help combat their addiction. So there's no one-size-fits-all means to obtaining your freedom. But what I will say is, as much as you can be provided the tools, it's going to take honest activity on your part to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I adopt this if it's, I hope it's in the right context. If I'm adopting a holier-than-thou attitude with regards to sobriety, so be it, because I'll, I've, I'm almost, I've almost died three times. So third time is a chant, to tell you the God's honest truth. And I know that if I want to keep on surviving in this world, that I can't live the way that I've lived before because it was to my detriment. And if it meant that I had to have a physical reaction of that caliber, again, to reiterate what I said earlier on, it's not nice when you experience it, but it, it helps to educate you a lot more effectively than what a textbook will. Right. So when I'm thinking about the holidays or any kind of big occasion in your life, it seems like you've got pretty heavy armor to protect you. <laughs> from, I appreciate from the kind words. <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, but uh, when I was still in active addiction, the good grace and really was is that I worked through December. So there wasn't time to partake because <laughs> I wasn't alone mm -hmm. to partake. Um, but when I started getting sober, especially when I was freshly sober, newly sober, um, it was very frightening in the beginning because there were a thousand questions that were running through my head uh, with the one main common goal of not wanting to relapse. Yeah. You remember I said earlier on that uh, uh, I made sure that there was no temptation in the house. Yes, I, do, I still do smoke cigarettes. That's the exception to the rule. But um, alcohol is a no-no in my house. Uh, if my mother wants to take a pain pill or a sleeping pill, she'll have to do it in the bathroom because I don't want to see it near me. Um, so from my side, I've become very militaristic where that is concerned, but um, I don't, you and I spoke about this on a, on a very different occasion to use an example with the mommy wine culture when it comes to the holidays, it's not for me to go and have a good time with the family in the sense that I need alcohol to, in order to have a good time. The holidays is about, first and foremost, the concept of giving, the concept that my Savior was born on that day, the concept that uh, uh, we've been put here on this earth for a reason, uh, whatever that reason may be. And I don't need alcohol to accomplish each three of that revelation. <clears throat> and sadly, I think that's also the misconstrued idea uh, that a lot of people have to compare it with the mommy wine culture. Wine is not mommy's little helper. Mothers have plenty of help from friends, from professionals, from their spouses. And having that glamorized is very, very unfair if that's a nice word. Um, and that's the same modus operandi in this country where Christmas is concerned because, um, you know, with the festive season, there's always this good price on a, on a piece of meat or um, if you buy this, you get a bottle of this brandy for free and all that jazz. I think really that is, uh, that's unfair. That's unfair because that can prove it as a, as a trigger mm -hmm. for, for addicts. And uh, I was in that, in, that, in that same category. But I think as well, if you want to enjoy sobriety during the holidays, do things that you love. Uh, 
Uh, I have a multitude of hobbies, reading, uh, playing board games with my mother. Uh, I'm a, you didn't know this about me, but I'll say it. I'm an amateur sketcher and painter, so I like to sketch and I like to paint. Anything to get your creative juices going and to keep your mind off of temptation mm -hmm. is what helps me during the holidays. And then, of course, you, you and I, our favorite pastime is laughing. I cannot endorse it enough. Mm -hmm. Laugh until literally your stomach begins to contract, that, it, that abs begin to form. Really, that's an extreme, <laughs> an extreme example. So we can avoid but, having to do crunches, right? Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 it's in comparison, I think a good laughing fit is worth, or a concurrent group of, grouping of laughing fits is concurrent to 30 crunches. Yeah, okay, so good. please laugh as much as you can and use all those tools of the trade to help you in your, in your journey because that creativity will give you a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And here's another thing that I'm going to touch up on. And I hope that this will, this will, this will um, ring a bell for you as well. I've also reached a point where I'm starting to speak my truth a little more. And if it peeves a lot of people off, so be it. I don't consider myself a radical person, but here's the thing. If people get hurt by truth that is backed by concrete fact, then tap yourself on the shoulder because you didn't mean to hurt them. But if it stirred their spirit up the wrong way, then I think you've planted the seed, but then turn around and walk away because then they're not for you. Mm -hmm. I'd rather spend my time with you because you understand me as a person, even though we're geographically miles apart. Um, I'd rather spend time with my mom because no, I'm not a mommy's boy, but my mom knows who I am. She knows what I went through. She knows what uh, I know what she went through, having gone through a disastrous marriage and the things that I did to her, screaming at her in, in cat fights, but all the while I was not at my, at my wholesome. Um, but I will never, ever, ever tell a person what to do unless they are willing to hear it. But if it's, if it's not going to be on their terms, as I say in my country, tough tacky. I'm not here, I'm not here to babysit. I'm here to be me. Mm -hmm. And that's me what, yes. And, you know, and that approach with helping others, you know, I can't like go and knock on people's doors and say, get sober. It's the best thing in the world. I mean, that's not how we get sober. Like for me, I got sober because I was at my rock bottom. I, it was time. And I had a very low, low bottom, long bottom. Um, and, and it had to be on my terms and, and very much. And, um, so when people ask me for help, I take them completely seriously. And, when people say, can, can you offer me a suggestion? I say, absolutely. Or I ask them, you know, if they're telling me something, can, can I offer you a suggestion? And if they say no, I say, oh, okay, fine, fine. And, but usually they say yes. And then I say, you know, this is just my experience. And then they take it from there. But, and that's why I wanted to have this series is so, so that people can, you know, have something that they can go to. And I really want to bang out a lot of interviews, a lot of people to come on to talk about their, their stories and their, and how they got to a place of sobriety and against all odds. I mean, you really had a rough go, Chris, and your story is so compelling. And, um, and, and I, I love um, what you've offered um, my audience and it's just sobriety is um, life and sobriety. I know, you know, just as well as I know is that beautiful things happen when we're sober and we don't know that until we get sober and give ourselves time, like take, you know, cause they said time takes time. So, and people can get impatient and, and when is this going to start getting better? And it's really, and that's why, you know, at parties to be able to have somebody to call like at any day, like to, to keep that community for yourself of people that you can reach out to, 
so you can get to a place of seeing, oh, this is, this is what people are talking about. This is why sobriety is so amazing when they start experiencing beautiful things like you and I have. Well, I'm going to use the same quote that I did again, and then I'll just break it down a lot more informally. You can be given the tools, but it will take honest activity on your part. I say honest activity because there's a time and a place for everything. I truly, truly believe that. When I had begun to, in my initial first few months of getting sober, I just wanted to get it over and done with. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get back to a sense of normalcy in my chaotic life. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work like that. You have to learn to live life on life's terms. And this fell a lot more in perspective to me when I especially was in remission for, for cancer. Uh, I realized that my life could be snuffed like that and I would have been robbed of such joys and beauties and treasures of what life had to offer me and is beginning to offer me in sobriety. So case in point is, you can have whatever self-help guide, to just give you a rough example, to give you the tools of the 12 steps and to break it down succinctly into subcategories and so on and so forth. But the experience can't be put into words. And I believe that's why they call it an experience. That freedom, that, that, that revelation is just worth more in its weight in gold than what words can ever put into, into um, that words could, could ever be, be put into. Mm-hmm. And um, so really, I think patience is a virtue. And plus also, I don't think in sobriety, I don't think there's, there's that, that, that common thread that great minds think alike because everyone is individual based on their own source of their own truth. So somehow you just have to learn how to build a bridge and get over it. Accept that person for who they are. If their opinion conflicts with yours, just, we were learned this as kids. If you don't have anything nice to say, just shut your pie hole. Yes. (laughs) If you get angered by the person, that person is obviously not for you. Turn around, walk away. That's what I did. But easier said than done at the end of the day, because we all have our individual personalities. Um, but the ultimate goal is that we have to rub shoulders together so that we can continue educating ourselves and having these new experiences. And it differs from person to person, but it needs to be experienced. Keyword. It does. It's true. I love it. And, and as we're nearing the end here, I would love to hear from you about what would you say has been the biggest gratitude in sobriety, like when, when we're talking about sober gratitudes here, what has been the most beautiful experience, like the the experience that you're most grateful for because you are sober? If I had to put it all into one finite grouping of words, I think the day that I got sober was the most freeing. The fact that I came to the realization as I had begun to be more teachable, that I wasn't this monster, that I wasn't the lies that were spewed out over me, and also the blessings, the treasures that I've gotten, the friendships that I've made with you, going into a form of literal surrogate siblinghood. You're laughing, but that's how I see it. You know, I'm an empath as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, That has been really the, the... biggest gratitude that I've had. So combine that all together, my early sobriety, the people that I've met and surviving the disease that I had all together has made me realize that life is worth living. Mm -hmm. But be patient with yourself, discover new things about yourself. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind that you will at more points than not realize that even though the past might come and revisit you in some form or another in the form of a fever dream or a physical reaction or getting in touch with an acquaintance that was previously bad for you. You're a lot more stronger than what you believe you are. And even that will enrich you because it will 
teach you who you're not supposed to be mm. and realize that life is worth living. It's not worth putting that blade to your wrist. It's not worth putting that pistol to your temple. It's not worth overdosing at all. There are people who are willing to help you if you really muster up the courage to, to ask for it and you'll know not to abuse it. And I think that is the great gifts that uh, sobriety has given me. Long story short. Well, it's been a gift to have you on my podcast today. I am so grateful. You're it's been such a privilege. A Thank friend. you. That's one of the many gifts that I've had from doing this podcast is meeting people like you and becoming friends. And Absolutely. It's been a privilege, Sarah. God bless. Yes. And have a wonderful rest of the night. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it.